Welcome, Tethered Nation. This is your number one saddle hunting resource. Now tighten your tethers and lock your carabiners. It's about to get real. We are sitting in a lodge in Northwest Montana after a long week of hunting. I'm joined by Ernie Power, the one and only, and our hunting guides for the week up here at Northwest Montana Outfitters. And we figured we would do a little podcast about our experience this week in the Elkwoods. What happens when you take a couple saddle hunters and put them in the the Rocky Mountains. Uh, Ernie has been there many, many times. I've been there a lot too, being in Colorado and stuff, but only one other time in Montana. So we'll go around the room, do quick intros, and we'll jump right into it. Why don't we start? Well, Ernie, the man that needs no introduction, but go ahead. We'll start there and then go around. Yeah, sure. This is Ernie Power. I, uh, I'm originally from out here, so this was kind of a fun week to, to get back here and see how other people would attack the same mountains that I grew up in. Um, but yeah, and then, uh, my guide was Aaron. Go ahead, Aaron. I'm Aaron. I grew up in South Central Montana, and I moved up here three years ago, and I've worked for the Outfitters in the past, and decided to come work for Northwest Montana Outfitters. Cool. Nice. Uh, I'm Jim Webley, and uh, I've lived uh, in Montana for quite a number of years. Worked with Northwest Montana Outfitters for about six years now, and... Uh, just one of those things where I just love to be out there with guys like you who love hunting and come from other parts of the country. And it's neat to hear how you guys do things. And just the discussions we've had out there in the field has really helped me open my eyes to different type of tactics and the things that you guys do and have designed has been pretty cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, seeing the different tactics and strategies is from other people and even from guide to guide. So this is my second time with Northwest Montana Outfitters, and the first time I went with Reggie, who owns it, and his style was different than your style, Jim. So I learned stuff from Reggie and then learned stuff from you, so it's it's pretty cool to see that. Before we jump too deep into it, Jim, could you kind of give us maybe like a quick overview of what we were hunting, where we are, how the what the terrain is like, et cetera? Yeah, we are in northwest corner of Montana and in the Kootenai National Forest. And we've been hunting in Sanders County. And uh, and it's all pretty much all public land, right? It's, uh, yeah, a vast majority of it's public land. It's huntable. And it's uh, it's enough land that you can't cover it all in a lifetime. So it's uh, pretty expansive. Yeah, I, I think every time we went around a ridge, Jim was like, oh, yeah, if you drop down that, that ravine right there, you're going to end up in this bowl, and then you're going to find yourself in this this uh basin and it's going to be terrible and filthy that's the word you like to use yeah. is filthy he's like it's filthy down there you do not want to get caught down in there but i was blown away every single bend in the mountain jim had been there and put boots on the ground i was like man that must have taken years and years of oh, yeah. field time to get there it does it takes years and it's, it takes putting your boots on the ground and just getting out there and doing it and but when it's something you love it's yeah, as the years go by, it'll amaze me sometimes. It's like, I know what's on that mountain. I know what's on the other side. I know what's down that ravine. And it's like after you have accumulated so much time and knowledge in this area, uh, it's like a puzzle that you put together and you realize like this drainage dumps into the, this basin and 
And that's what these elk have been doing all these years. And so as the puzzle gets put together, you, you learn what to do and what not to do. Mostly what not to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was blown away. We'd come around a, a turn or we'd crest a hill and come on the backside. And Jim's like, yeah, if the elk are in here, what they've done is they were bedding up here or they were feeding up here last night. And then they'll, they'll come down this drainage and hit this basin and then go into this thick alder patch. And that's where they're going to bed down for the day because you just can't yeah. get into them. Yep. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to, to see. And I'm sure, Ernie, your experience was probably similar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um we covered a few more miles than you did, but... Uh, I think we covered more miles than anyone, didn't we? Well, I don't know. It's usually, you don't have to cover as many miles if you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, I don't think we can say that, though. <laughs> I don't think we can play that card. Oh, you might want to cut that out. Yeah, we will no. cut that out, yeah. Yeah, we can't play that card, can we? We can't play that card this no. year. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, we covered well over 50 miles over the course of the week. But, you know, the we didn't really see any bulls until Probably yesterday in, yeah yeah um and then it was just like they're everywhere um, cows running everywhere so and it was the same this morning right you got ba- you guys got back into them on the last morning mm-hmm. yeah it wasn't the same herd but we got back into them this morning yeah um we had a really nice bull last night or yesterday morning actually um put a real cool spot in stock because the the bulls for whatever reason they're not coming to calls this week they're uh they're sitting back and staying quiet. They might bugle just a touch here and there, but other than that first locate bugle, it's really hard to get on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the same for us. It was mm, super yeah. frustrating. I mean, you might hear one. I think on the first day, I don't know. I don't even know. If, yeah, we did. We heard two bugles on the first day. Mm-hmm. The one that was way down and then the one that was up above us near that saddle in the watering hole Yep, up there. Um, we heard those two, and then I think the second day, maybe one, and it just got – it yeah. got tougher as the week went on, and I was expecting it to get better as yeah. far as them mm-hmm. being vocal. Well, you'd mm-hmm. think with the weather, too. Yeah, because it was cold, cold right? Yeah. And that's yeah. good, right? Mm-hmm. And then as the week went on, we changed tactics where the first couple of days was more reconnaissance. Yeah. And so we were on the move, and I think that's why we heard the different bugles in different areas, although they weren't really responding to us so much. Mm-hmm. As it was, we were just We were just them. lucky. We lucky were in the to, right place at yeah. the right time, and we heard them. And then we started, once we did our reconnaissance and figured out where, what the elk were doing and where they were going, we did more of a kind of just ambush-style yeah. type hunting. And so with that, if they're not bugling and you're in that area, I mean, it's pretty quiet. It's yeah. pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of quiet hours. And you just don't know where they are. You could be hiking in the woods and walk right into them. Like we did today. Yeah. You don't know where they're at. They're not talking. You walk 10, 15 miles, don't hear a bugle, and all of a sudden you walk over the hill and there's a bull better there. Mm-hmm. Well, or that, you're calling and yeah. they sneak right in on you. Right. <laughs> yeah. They don't like no word out. So that's the dilemma for us. I mean, to me it was kind of like turkey hunting where you're you're maybe you're on a road or a ridge or whatever and you're calling and it's like how long do you sit and wait in case old, that old bull was you know, three, 400 yards down the ridge and he's coming that way and if you don't sit long enough, mm-hmm. you'll miss him. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's uh. That's the golden question when you're out there, you know, it's, you know, do we sit? Do we wait it out? Do we go? Do we push them? Do you call 10 minutes longer where you're sitting? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, like when we were down in that bottom and Judy came in. Yeah. The ugliest elk a, you ever seen. We have this terrible, we met this <laughs> terrible elk that we named Judy. Oh, she's <laughs> filthy. And we hate her. She's a filthy animal. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to choke her out. We had like a 15 minute last <laughs> laugh session about how I hated Judy so much. I didn't even want to kill her. I wanted to choke her out. Choke her out. 
Oh, and it was an old cow that busted you? Yeah. Yeah, she come in. And uh, we, well, what we figured is, you I know, hate that heifer. She's, <laughs> she's horrible. There is a bull up above us. We're certain of that. And uh, the elk will do this sometimes. They'll, you'll have a herd and a cow or even two will come down. Check you out. And they'll yeah. check it out. Yep. And if they don't like what they see, they turn right back around. And I've watched it several times. I don't know how they communicate, but that entire herd turns around and walks away. Boy. And so... We were discussing, like, how do you get chosen for that job? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, the bull says, I really think there's danger down there. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judy, you're up. You know, it's <laughs> like, check it out. wouldn't that hurt your feelings? And yeah. so. Yeah, we think there's a big giant cat that can crush your neck in one bite. Hey, Judy, go check her out. <laughs> you're up, Judy. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that quite a few times where the bulls hang back and send a few cows in first. Yep. I've seen it lots of times. Yeah. Or it, the cow, that he always sends the cows first and he comes behind them. That's mm-hmm. what they do, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly what happened to us. Yep. And we're pretty sure it was a bull, although we didn't, he didn't bugle and, he, and we didn't see his, his rack. But just the way the situation played out, it, mm, felt, the color. it we, felt like he was a bull. Yeah, we mm-hmm. could see him move through the timber and the brush and he, had, he was a bigger body. And tan, mm-hmm. and so we, you know, we figured that's what yeah happened. But. So we really had, I'm going back and counting in my head. We really had four encounters with bulls this week. We had the spike on the what the second or it was the third day because the day. second day I got up in the saddle and I hunted a water hole or that's a wallow right. in the saddle. So it was yep. the third day I saw my first bull. He was a spike. Wasn't legal. He was at 50 yards. Probably could have shot him, but he wasn't legal. And then we had that bull that was answering answering back, mm-hmm. but that was like at daylight when we bust him, busted him out. Yeah. So that was, I guess, an encounter, but it wasn't a realistic opportunity. We never saw him. He just took his yeah. cows and left. And then we had that bull with Judy. Judy. Who hates Judy. In. That oh. bull hates Judy. And then this morning, the last morning of the hunt, we had a shooter bull, a, a nice bull that – he didn't really give us a shot. It happened too fast. It was like 30 seconds that we saw him, and then the cow busted and ran out and took him with her. Yeah. But, uh, we had, like, I saw, like, four four bulls this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But Ernie's, Ernie takes the cake. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You got to tell that story from start to finish. Uh, all right. So, it actually starts a couple of days earlier. We got um, into him, yeah, two days earlier. Only yeah. Out. We got into him in the very bottom of the nastiest hole. Um, and Yeah, because when you came back that night – he was all you, so so. Picture out there, you're listening to this in your car. You're driving. Picture old Eeyore from <laughs> from Winnie the Pooh, who's so sullen. Ernie comes in and he is so sullen. I can see it on his face. <laughs> and I'm like, "What's going on?" He's like, "He goes, man, Aaron's gonna make me go back down in that hole, and yeah. it's gonna suck." Because yeah. I think that was the day too that uh, that we went we went down into the. Well, we, we, we got into this drainage area, and, and we heard bugling in the bottom, so we ran down to the bottom, and at the time, we were doing really good with wind, um, but there was two bulls down there, and they had kind of moved up onto the other side. Um, so in order for us to get to them, we had to go into the bottom and come back up, and during that process, the wind shifted, and all of a sudden, uh, our wind was going right to these these two bulls that were up there bugling. We knew they had some cows. We had seen the cows from across the valley. Uh, got in there, and they uh, they ended up catching our wind and blowing out of there. So that became the the 1,600 vertical feet hike to get out of that hole. 
Um, so we get up to the road and we're like, you know, we didn't spook them too bad. They didn't really know what was going on. It wasn't too bad. We'll let that sit for a couple of days. We'll hit it in a couple of days. Um, so then this yes, morning. Yesterday morning. Yeah, yesterday morning. Yesterday morning we went back in there and uh, we heard the bugling kind of off the other side of the ridge, the same as before, but learning from our mistakes, we weren't going to attack it the same direction. From the we bottom, were going to come mm-hmm. from the top, come from the other side and, we were working our way around the ridge, and all of a sudden we hear bugling at the at the. There's like a long point. <clears throat> we're following the road, and we're getting closer to the bugling. He's still kind of bugling. We're we're getting closer, and we're getting closer. Now, was he bugling because you guys were bugling, no, or was no, he just he's doing just it on his, doing own? his own, own? He's okay. just doing it on his own. Um, and so we're walking this old logging road, and it was overgrown a little bit. It had some some grasses and some other like alders and smaller bushes on it, <clears throat> and we come. We get through a, a little clear-cut area, and I can see the, the leaf strip, the timber strip on the other side of the clearing, and it's on a point. And uh, it sounds like that bull is in the timber strip just below the road. And so we're kind of sneaking along, and that road had done a, a quick hook into the mountains and then came back out, and then it was curving out to the point. And we took two steps around the corner, and there's the bull standing broadside in the middle of the road at 100 yards. He's just sitting there feeding in the road. Yeah, we did, thought it was a cow first. Yeah, we thought it was a cow mm-hmm. first, and, and we're looking, and we're like, holy cow, it's right there, right? So we kind of kind of quick got down, and then we realized that there were two cows in the road with him, and the cows are watching us, and we are we are pinned. We're in the middle of a logging road in Sun's the sun. beating on us. The sun is beating right on our face. We're glowing like candlesticks, and uh, that bull is sitting there feeding. Oh, man, I wouldn't have thought of that, the reflection on yeah. your skin. And I so have of that. we're sitting there and the cows are there and, and when they were staring at us, we stayed still. And when they weren't, we'd like take one step and we're like duck walking. We're down on, on all fours. In fact, at one point I was like putting my bow forward so I could walk on my knees and hands a step and then move my bow. And, um, but we're watching, it's like a endless parade of cows coming off of that point, crossing the road next to the bull and down. So as soon as, a couple of cows would clear, and we're like, okay, we can move when his head's down. Two more cows would come down, or another cow would come down off the hill. And it just kept going, and it kept going. And, and we're not making a lot of ground. Um, we not, we uh, sawed off about 30 yards of the 110 that were there, and we weren't quite into it yet. And finally, the parade of cows kind of stops, and then the bull just steps over the hill. And uh, it's a pretty steep hill. So we uh, got up to the high side of the road, and quick ran up the road. So describe this bull. Is he a? Is he a spike? Is he a? What is? No, he? he's a. He's a legitimate three forty plus six, maybe even a six by seven. seven. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Is that true? <laughs> the biggest bull I've seen up here, but I wow. hunt in southeastern Montana, so yeah, yeah. So up here, that's big to me. Yeah. For up here. So we run down the road with, and we're on the the high side of the road, and they're just over the cut bank, and. uh get up to where they are and we're like okay quick you know and it was it was the point it wasn't knock an arrow it was draw and then we're going to step up to the edge so draw stepped up to the edge and it was just a circus of elk down there. cows running bulls running there was uh there was at least two bulls that we noticed before we found the big one in the pile of elk that was just underneath the road like smaller satellite bulls yeah like a five point a four point and then the big bull um and so we finally find him take a guess at our yardage 
and uh, and take a shot. And as it turns out, we were a little bit off. I shot right over his back. <clears throat> so then uh, he kind of turns and bolts and runs a little bit away and stops again broadside. And I take one more shot, um, and this time I was low. Right on. Went under. underneath him. Yeah, but wasn't that a really far shot? Yeah, the yeah. second shot was 80 yards. Okay. The second shot was 80 yards. The first shot um, – I was ranging. We Yeah, we – we guessed the range at 65, and uh, turns out 45. later it was 45. Yeah. So I ended up just going right over the top of his back. But the cool part was that whole herd, and there was about 20 cows, three or four satellite bulls, and the one Spike, big bull. Yeah. Uh, they moved into this clear cut below us, and about 200 yards down, they started to regroup. It was all chaos, like like cockroaches running around at first, but then they all started to regroup. They started to calm down, and they were starting to feed in that hill. They didn't really know what would happen, and we're still standing at the top of the ridge watching all this. We had a good wind, and we were on that point, so we kind of backed over the backside of the point and started sneaking down the hill. And we got down quite a ways and then came back over the hill, and next thing you know, I'm in the herd. Mm -hmm. I've got uh, cows, a bunch of cows within 100 yards all the way around me, and we're kind of sitting down and sneaking, and I'm... And we're watching, and we're like, okay, that cow can see us. Okay, that one can't see us. Let's move a couple steps. Finally, we get to a point where we're watching one of the the other bulls. The big bull had actually dove off the mountain. Done blow all the cows. And uh, we look, and there's a, a nice five-point stand in there. He's uh, about 100 yards away at this point. We're, like, slowly sneaking down. It's like with all those eyes and noses, we're just trying to make sure we don't get busted, and we're trying to mingle a little bit. And uh, all of a sudden – as we're sitting there, they all start bedding. So I've got a, a an acre and a half of elk bedding down all around me, and I'm in the middle of it trying to get to this bull, uh, and he's bedded down at 80 yards in front of me. Were you there right behind him? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, he was right behind me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he's 80 yards ahead of us, bedded down, um, but I got two cows and a spike about 70 yards off to my left, about 20 yards in front of me. So we're trying to figure out how we're going to get past those cows. We had to close like 30 yards. Yeah. Seems impossible. Yeah. 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 Well, it, it was, right? Yeah. So we sat there, and, I mean, we're literally sliding on our butts six inches at a time trying to get Once their, head, that once their heads yards. go down, we'd move. Once their heads go up, we'd stop. And uh, we got another 10 yards down, and all of a sudden that bull stood up and started walking, went out into the field to feed – and at that point, we're like, man, we gotta, we gotta get aggressive. We've been monkeying with these elk for two hours, um, so we just stand up and just kind of start walking down. And the, the spike and the two cows that we were worried about the just blowing looked us at us. up, yeah, just stood there. just looked at us. We walked right past them like nothing. Sixty yards, care. they just yeah. stood there. Had we known that, we could have walked right past them in the to first place to get to the bull that was. <laughs> we were worried they're gonna bust us. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, Some elk you just don't know. Yeah, so then, uh, you know, that eventually broke up, and all the bulls went down the hill, and um, I'm like, you know, those cows were pretty dumb. Let's go back and see if we can kill one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so we started walking back up the hill, and again, we uh, couldn't get quite close enough, but I uh, I let an arrow go either way, and uh, it's kind of disheartening when 
when you, you hear the release go off and a second later you hear the loud thump of your arrow going right into a big tree. <laughs> and that was the end of it. We had to go get more arrows at that point because <laughs> I was running out of arrows. So we had to hike out and try it again later. It's a good hunt when you run out of arrows. When your quiver is empty, <laughs> yeah. you had a good day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Man, I can relate to those weird distances. Uh, when I came up here in 2015 and was hunting a water hole, I had a bull. Uh, not a giant like you encountered, but a, a good bull for me. I would have been super happy with him. Uh, he came in, and before the hunt, everyone that had elk hunting experience was telling me, man, these elk are huge. When you see them, you're going to think they're right on top of you. You're going to think they're super close. And they said, they, you know, they're further away than you think. The distances are deceiving. And uh, <clears throat> so I had this bull come in at the water hole, and he smelled me, and he bolted, and he went and he stopped in this one little opening this tiny little opening mm-hmm. and i thought man he's like a touch over 20 that's what i thought in my head and then i said you know the back of my mind mm-hmm. those little monsters came up and they said yeah but he's further than you think and so i said he's probably 30 so uh-huh. i put my 30 yard pin on him squeezed it off and boom hit him perfect left and right just about eight inches high right in the meat oh that toppler let me to their back yep and we never found that bull. We tracked him for about a quarter mile, but he ran straight up the mountain. And so then I went back and stepped it off, and he was at 18 yards. Oh Ooh. my god! So if I had yep. if I had used the the, the right pen, he would have been. A, he you just been never dead. know. You yeah. never know. And then this morning, that bull that we saw, uh, Jim's guess was about 30. You know, this all happened in 30 seconds. We we went over this like five times in the truck. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that's what we did yesterday too. Yeah. Went over about 50 <laughs> times. <laughs> we did. We, we went over back and forth, and we're analyzing every which way. And, and Jim yeah. said, you know, his, his first impression was, well, you can tell it, but you said you thought he was about 30 yards was your guess. Yeah. Uh, we were, you know, like you said, it happened real real fast. And and uh, so Greg was getting ready. You know, he's down. He's getting ready. He's knocking an arrow. And he says, how far do you think he is? And I said, man, I don't know. I said, maybe 30 yards, you know. But one thing I've learned in this country, it's so deceptive. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you judge off of? I mean, you're dealing with different sized trees and everything. Mm -hmm. So if if you don't, if you can't range them with a range finder, it's very difficult and you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things uh, out here is it's such close quarters and you don't know when things are going to happen. So mentally, you got to be ready to and you rehearse it in your mind like this is what i'm going to do i'm grabbing my range front i'm getting on him i'm knocking an arrow i'm getting you know you got to make it work and it's not it's not your typical i guess video that you see on tv where yeah you bugle once the bull comes in stands broadside you shoot him at 20 you, yards you yeah. shoot at 20 it's yards not easy no it's it's hard country it's it's hard it's country thick, high rugged it, steep it yeah. is yeah. It is, and you learn that once you put your boots on the ground. And yeah, when and you guys learned it this week. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, Ernie knew. I, well, I guess we both kind of knew it. I mean, because you've hunted these parts for forever over yeah, on since the I was 20, oh yeah forty miles away in Idaho. But and I'd been up here before, so I, I knew what I was getting into. But I mean, our guess was thirty yards at that bull. Yeah, and then and, and then we came back and ranged it forty two, and he was at forty two yards. Forty two yards. Yeah. Uh, we, so well, if we would have never ranged it, which I don't know, you you may have. Had every intention on ranging it anyway. No, there was no time. So no, it yeah, we actually ran out of time, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I would what I would have done is because when I stood up and was about ready to draw, the, that's when the bull bolted. Yep. But 
I would have started, my shot process would have been, okay, Jim gave me an estimate of 30. How does that compute with what my estimate Mm -hmm. is? And then I probably would have just gone somewhere in between. But in all likelihood, I don't know if I had time. I'd have probably just got up, found my red pin, which is my 30-yard pin, and squeezed it off. And then I'd have been been under him Mm because it was 12 yards short. I'd have shot right under his belly. But, I mean, what can you do? It happened so fast. You guys had a little bit more time, Mm -hmm. but you had that variable of 10,000 cows looking at Mm -hmm. you too. Yeah. Well, and and during that time when when we stepped to the edge of the road, it happened fast because all those eyes were on us, and now things were moving. And – they elk couldn't figure out what to do. They were going right. They were going left. There was just it was just a big swirl of elk, and so it it really sets off this chaos, panic mode going because you're yeah, trying to get it all going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good word for it. It's chaos. It's like super fast, but it's chaos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another guy in camp with us, Graham. How old? Graham is what? Fourteen. 16, I think. He's 16? 16, yeah. Graham got a shot, too, and it was kind of the same deal for him. They weren't sure how far it was, and he took Didn't a guess and, 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 and missed him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We were going. We were doing the math. I mean, we had a pretty good week. We got one bull down. Uh, Kevin killed a bull. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one of the other guys in camp stuck a bull. They didn't find it. He, I think he thought he hit shoulder shoulder bone. Mm-hmm. Ernie had a had a, a legitimate encounter. Uh Graham had a legitimate encounter. I mean, you're talking four or five legitimate bull encounters out oh, yeah. of 12 hunters. That's pretty dang good. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and the just the, I mean, we were close this week. It's it's like you know Judy buses. Yeah, and then it's you know the bull. We walk in on the bull, and he he's 10 seconds faster than we are, mm-hmm. and and so you look at that, and it's you know I look at all these as quite successful hunts mm-hmm. even even though there's been some misses and uh whatever it's you know we were talking about that earlier it's what what constitutes a trophy mm-hmm. and you know what constitutes a good hunt um is it just simply sticking an animal or you know is it putting in the hours putting in the time uh tackling the obstacles and then doing something that's hard you know to me, that's a trophy, and everyone has a different idea on what a trophy is. Some people can go mm-hmm. to a, a caged hunt where you get to choose your animal, mm-hmm. and then it comes in for its daily feeding, and yeah. you stick them. And, I mean, that's fine. That's fine as long as you're satisfied with mm-hmm. that. But there's a lot of people that aren't satisfied with that. And, and that's they, not this. No. No, no you got to work for it. You're going to work for this. Mm-hmm. You're putting your boots on the ground. It's you against them. They're not being fed. They're not being coerced in any way it's just you and them you gotta find them you kill an elk out here you earned it You've you earned something it. now that's a trophy mm-hmm. and i don't care if that thing is a spike with a brow tine mm-hmm. you know you know the the work that you put into that it's almost like this era of participation trophies mm-hmm. you know well you you played the game so everybody gets a trophy mm-hmm. no you know it's uh it's like a race it's yeah not not every trophy is the same mm-hmm. and uh so when the what you were in Man, oh, it's you know, it's the coolest spot and stock I've ever done, and I've been elk hunting for twenty years. Yeah, that was awesome. It's yeah. uh, that was very, very cool. Um, and you know, and I've, I'm going home with tag soup this week. So if anybody has a recipe, let me know. <laughs> <Yeah>. But uh, <laughs> it's called Aaron not ranging right. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I don't really look at it like that because, um, 
I didn't come out here to kill something. I came out here to hunt something. Mm-hmm. There you go. And you got, yeah. I had some of the best hunts um, that I've had in years. I've got enough memory out of this to last me three or four more years of not killing something. Because so, that's what it's going to be. It's so funny that you say that because in the what I what I learned this week is when you use the tactics that we use, which was a lot of sitting and waiting mm-hmm. because they weren't talking. Mm-hmm. And so we chose to kind of hang tight and get in elky areas. And we and, chose the same thing, but hiked a long ways to try and find yeah, a yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you end up having a lot of time to kind of discuss stuff. And Jim and I, we talked about that at length, how, man, the, the hunt, the experience is the trophy here. And mm-hmm. if you end up nailing one, well, that's just the cherry on top of the hunt. You yep. know, it's a great dessert even without the cherry. But yeah. mm-hmm. the cherry makes it a Would little you bit say, sweeter. You know, the, the hunt this, this week was uh, you made a pretty good cake. And it was just the cherry on top was the, uh, you know, bringing something home. And, mm-hmm. and that, you know, and that's important. It's important to look at it that way, I think. Yeah, it well, is. Like that elk that we were on, um, we legitimately beat that elk at his own game. He was a big herd bull with a bunch of eyes, cows, satellite yeah. bulls, and whatever. And we got within 45 yards of him and got an yeah. arrow in the air. As far as I'm concerned, you know, missing hard sucks. Yeah. But – we won that chess mm-hmm. match. I mean, really, we had yeah. him there. It's just <laughs> a, a foot difference in where the arrow went is the only difference mm-hmm. between that. Yeah. But the hard part, we did. Yeah. And the herd bulls are hard, especially when they have 20 cows. Oh, yeah. And they're old, big, and smart. Yep. And we got – we we won the deal. That's kind of like didn't. the librarian that yeah. I used to know down there in Troy. <laughs> <laughs> she, was, she was old, big, and smart. <laughs> Sweet lady. <laughs> So yeah. while I got you guys here, um, one of the things that came up before we came out and then today just at lunch um, was some of the technology that's out there and available for bull hunters. Um, you know, I I managed to swing a pretty good deal on the new Garmin site, the one with the rangefinder built in. Um, and the way I read the regulations and the way that Garmin advertises it on their website, they're not legal in Montana. Um, and boy, that would have made life a lot easier for any of us. I mean, mm-hmm. how many times do you get within range of a bull and you don't have time to, cause you know, you got to reach down with the one hand, which means you got to take your release off of the string. You got to grab the, th- it's just a bunch of monkeying around, or you could just push the button on your riser. You get an instant mm-hmm. reading, you shoot properly. Mm-hmm. Um, we met a guy today at lunch that said he called the fishing game and said, as long as there's not a visible light being projected, that that site would be legal, but you know it's it's a it's a question that you know we probably have to do a little more homework on and and get a real answer for. But man, I wish I could have used it. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I took it off and and it was it was a cringe worthy moment. I mean, I I've been practicing with this thing all summer. I've been to three D shoots, and I really loved the way it worked. And then to go back to a fixed pin and a rangefinder, yeah. it was like going back in time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and we were talking about the ethics of it. You know, it, uh, you know, one side of the argument is that you're trying to give the elk a fair advantage. Uh, I think a lot of these people that say that have never actually archery hunted in northwest corner of Montana. Yeah. That elk has every advantage mm-hmm. that it's unbelievable the advantage they have. So what you guys did was exceptional. Mm-hmm. Now, the idea of having that rangefinder, a, a lot of guys... That bull can pin you down, you know, jump another 20 yards, turn around, 
and you're at full draw and he's staring at you. What do you do? Let off, reach in your pocket, grab your rangefinder, range them again. Then your bull's, bull's running gone. off. Yeah. That bull is gone every time. So what do you do? You guess. You guess. Yeah. Now, or you could re, re uh, push that button there, Get find out exactly reading. where it is. Now you don't have a wounded bull that may end up dying later on, but you'll never recover. Mm-hmm. So the ethical thing is to allow hunters to use you know, the technology that's out there to make mm-hmm. a humane, fast, clean kill that that animal's not going to suffer yep. with. And uh, I just don't see the logic in I I get it, it. That, uh, that you have to have laws that, doesn't, that don't make it just ridiculously easy. But in this yeah. particular instance, I don't think that's what's going on. No. Everybody already carries a rangefinder. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is, do you carry it on your bow? Or do you carry it in your pocket? It's the location of your rangefinder. Yeah, it's, same, it's no different. Yeah. It's silly to me. It is. Um, and and I agree with you a thousand percent, Ernie. I mean, we had the same situation. I mean, I didn't get to fire a shot, but we were flying blind. I was going to stand up and guess at that bull yeah. and touch off a shot. Maybe I hit him low, you know, and gut shot him, or maybe I cripple him. Um, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, whereas I can take three seconds and push that button on the on the range-finding site, the Garmin, or whatever one you have, and now all of a sudden I can make the most ethical shot because I know it's it's the right position yeah. for that pin. Uh, so yeah. I'm with you, Ernie. I think, it's, I think it's a good technology that should be used. Well, sure. I mean, just like Jim had said, and this has happened to me a bunch of times, that bull will come in on a call, and he doesn't know what's going on. He's kind of hanging out. He sees you. The first thing he does is bolts, runs out 30 yards, and stops. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea the range is at. Unless you've yep. been sitting there for 20 minutes with your rangefinder checking trees like you would in a tree stand, you're guessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now all of a sudden he just ran to an unknown distance and is standing there, and you only got a few seconds at that point because he's not going to stand there long. You're already at full draw. Just like you said, what are you going to do? You're going to guess and touch off. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yep. hope and hopefully you guess right. Because the worst thing you can do is do what I did in 2015 and wound that bull. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and then you don't know if he's he's going to go up. He's going to get run down by wolves or mm-hmm. a cat, and he's going to go out that way. And I mean, that's just not yeah. what I want to do as a as a hunter mm-hmm. and a sportsman. I mean, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna hit an animal, I wanna I wanna take it down. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that that some of these laws, like you said, are made by people that maybe don't don't really know what they're yeah. doing. I just, I just can't see them being uh, hunters that actually know what they're talking about because in the field you see it over and over again and there's laws like that that are out there that just do not make sense. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe we give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's just because it's government and it's a big, slow thing it that takes is. forever to make changes. And that's a fairly new product. I mean, it's only been out a couple of years, I yep. think, but... Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's definitely it's definitely yeah. something serious. Well, in Montana and I know Idaho, um, and I believe even Colorado, they're really sticklers on their primitive weapons. Um, you know, in Idaho, you're not allowed to use an inline muzzle loader. You're not allowed to have any kind of optics. You know, they really tone that back to its most oh, really? pure form. So you got to shoot, shoot open sights on a muzzle loader. Open sights, and you have to have um, a uh, percussion cap. Mm. So you're not allowed to use a 209 primer. It's all got to be percussion cap and open sights. Um, and I'm sure their archery laws are pretty similar as far as what's allowed and what isn't. Yeah. Um, you know, I heard Montana just legalized the Luminox, Luminox. in the last mm-hmm. year or two. Mm-hmm. 
um, again, an ethical thing. How is Illuminat going to hurt or improve your chances of aiming and killing that bull? It's not. It's yeah. just going to help you in the retrieval and and after you've pulled the trigger. The the actions and the motions that have gone toward killing that bull are done before that Luminoc ever turns on. Yeah, so, Luminoc don't help you hit the elk at all. Not at all. No. It's just like the Garmin. The Garmin doesn't help you keep the proper T-form. It doesn't help you bend at the waist. It doesn't help you squeeze the trigger. Yeah, you as could opposed jerk. To punch you could it. still miss. All it does is mm-hmm. make sure that you're aiming at the right spot, yep. which, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not really giving you an advantage of in any way other than just knowing the right distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the advantage that you might gain from it does not outweigh the disadvantage of wounding elk over and over again Agreed. because you don't have the option. When I suppose as outfitters, you guys see it all the time. I mean, oh, last week, w- wounded elk, oh, yeah. you guys see probably, I mean, more than us, than we would ever see. Um, yeah. I'll you, tell you. Go ahead. I was just going to say, do you think, so last week you guys saw a bunch of wounded animals, right? Uh, a few. A few. Uh, I'd, how many was I guess there? maybe not One, a bunch, two. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Do, what would yeah. you say is the cause for, mo- do you, would you say that a lot of times it's because they don't know the range or would. Is that is that fair to say that or no? Or? I bet you if fifty fifty. Yeah, I bet you if if you went through all the list of reasons why, I bet you that's going to be at the top. You think so? Yeah, and then there's of course you hit a branch or, or excited. You jerk. got yeah, you just totally bad missed. shooting. Bad, yeah, bad shooting. shooting is gonna yeah. That's regardless of range. Sure. Yeah. I mean, because that happened to Ernie. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I said, it was chaos, and by that point, I was pretty flustered, and I was I was kind of desperate to you know, kill something with my tag. <laughs> yeah. so I, I took a shot I shouldn't have. It was longer than my comfortable range. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully all I lost was an arrow out of the deal. So, Well, 100% <laughs> the reason why I did not recover that bull four years ago was because I shot the wrong range. Yeah. I executed the meat. shot properly. And you hit me. Because I, I put it in the wrong place. Yeah. Yep. I shot it in nine inches higher than I should have because mm-hmm. I used the wrong pin. Yep. Um, so if I have a... a if I had time to range that animal, that's a dead elk because mm-hmm. I executed the shot properly. Yeah, um, yeah, it's fr- that's mm. a it's a frustrating problem. Yeah. Well, the reason I even have a Garmin is because I chose the wrong range on a Booner last year, and uh, I'm like, this isn't going to happen again. So I went and I got the Garmin, and I was and they're legal. practicing it. They're legal in Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ten minutes after I get home, I'm bolting that thing back mm-hmm. on my bow. Yeah, me too. I haven't shot it yet, be mine yet, because I was prepping for this hunt, and mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't use it, so yeah. I kept it. I kept my uh, my pen sight on there. But as soon as I get home on Tuesday, uh, I'm going, and I'm putting that thing on oh, there, yeah. and I'm getting it sighted in because oh, yeah. I'm using that thing like crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be in a stand Tuesday morning. So, and so yeah, it'll be on there and ready to run. You know, another thing about, I'm glad you brought up technology, Ernie. Another thing I wanted to get you guys' opinion on, um, being that you guys live in this environment, you're in those mountains day in, day out, you put your gear through hell. What type of gear are you guys uh, partial to? Boots, clothing. um, Let's start with boots. Let's go with you guys for boots first. What What type of boots, Aaron, you start us off. Um, what this type of boot? What type of boot are you wearing? And talk me through, because I know that and Jim would probably talk about this a little bit in a minute. But Aaron, you start. Talk about your boot that you're using. Does it change throughout the season? Uh, do you like a stiff sole? Do you like a flexible sole? And why? Let's talk about boots to start. So I wear a Cantrek boot. They're made in Bozeman, and I got them 
two years ago, and I I didn't like them at first because they're so stiff. They feel like you're wearing a stovepipe on your foot, and you break, you twist your ankle a lot. They say it takes 50 miles to break them in, and took about 150 until hmm. they were soft. But they're comfortable. They don't. They never hurt my feet. It just I roll my ankle a lot and they get wet, even mm-hmm. when I wax them. Yeah, nonstop. And, and you wear that boot from. It's a four hundred fifty dollar boot too. You wear that boot from day one of the season yep. through the end. Yep. Okay. No, and then if I if there's snow, I got schnees. Okay. They're a pack. Yep. Hunting pack. They're made in Bozeman Which as well. Which is the same ones that you. Bell Hunter. Yeah. With Airbob soles. I think so. Yeah. Ah, uh, they're wonderful. Yeah. So. You, it sounds like you don't really like that. I don't like the Kinetrax. No, no, you don't I, like uh, them. a lot of guys do. Yeah, a lot of guys swear, you know. But I, for uh, it must be just my foot. <laughs> well, that's a, it's such a it's such a personal choice. Yeah. I mean, and it's they're yeah. comfortable. They don't hurt my feet like walking. I, my feet are never in the beginning. They did because they're so stiff. Yeah, I got blisters, and you you had the same problem with them. That's really uh, that's funny. Why I got that, rid of mine. That yeah. he says that about the stiff boots because we yeah. had this conversation. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I I prefer a flexible sole. Uh, hiking boot, and uh, I can feel the terrain under my feet a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every stick in Montana points downhill, and it seems like they're covered in something slick. And so, uh, you really need, in my opinion, to be able to feel what's under your feet as you take every step. And if you have a harder sole, it seems like them the hard sole just rides right on top of the stick. And I watch as and especially I, rocks with them tracks. They're so hard. You hit a, you walk up on a rock. Ernie seen me do it several times this week. Your whole yeah, foot wants to twist because you're just teetering up yep. on it. There's because a, they're so stiff, sold. Yep. And it, on a stick, on a log, mm-hmm. and so that's one of the reasons I got rid of my Kenetrex. They, they're comfortable. Oh yeah, they don't hurt your feet. Yeah, but uh, every every person's foot's a little different. You got to find the boot that fits you. And uh, I've I've just I have never liked to. A, you know, a stiff sold boot. Yeah, because you told me when I was when I was grilling you about this earlier, you said that if you could, you'd wear these. You're wearing like a Solomon hiker mm-hmm. style boot, right? Yep. And you said that you would wear those the whole season if it didn't get you oh, know absolutely. negative ten thousand. That's same. Up yeah. Same with me. I love my Keens. Yeah, Keens. I switched into my Keens the other day because my can tracks were wet, <laughs> I, <laughs> and I didn't trip or slip. I didn't did break and do nothing. You guys should have seen this. So we got caught in a rainstorm. <laughs> Didn't we all? But, yeah. And and nasty. we're up there and we're we're huddled under this tree and we got our rain gear on and everything else and um, we're four miles back on this this old uh, trail and uh, by the time we got ready to hike out, you know, it'd been raining, so everything is wet. Um, you're walking through and, and you're, you're just going to get wet from the grass and whatever else. And when he mentioned that his boots got wet, he <laughs> literally sat down, <laughs> took his boots off and poured four or five ounces of water <laughs> out of each man. boot. That's stupid right there. That sucks. I, yeah. I'm walking behind him and it sounds like galosh is going <laughs> the whole time. And I'm like, dude, your boots are making the, you know, like if you get, sometimes your rubber boots will get holes in the sole and they'll squeak on every step. Yeah. That's what these boots sounded Solar like, but it wasn't. Him. It wasn't that the soles had a hole in them. He was sloshing in water. He had a lake every in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, do you know? And that's after oiling them. I oil them every rainstorm. Really? It only lasts like four hours into the yeah. rain. Well, it's just that you're going through this brush here, and yeah. even if it's not raining, yeah. but it had previously, the, all those little cupped leaves in that grass 
will just pour water down your legs oh, yeah. and it just goes across your boot. And if there's a weak spot anywhere, yeah. it's finding it. Yeah. yeah. And here's something I learned this week, very valuable, that if it's wet brush and it's not raining outside, let your buddy go first. Yeah, no kidding. For real. I'm down the way out. But yeah. I told him because I got your back, you know, for animal. Yeah. Let him go first. <laughs> he wipes all the water clean. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. It's uh, so I had Greg out in front of me. Yeah. He's like, boy, my, my boots weren't wet yesterday, <laughs> but they sure are today. Yeah. Like, the first day we went through that, my boots did great. That, yeah. That. I mean, we walked all day in the rain and uh, my feet were, were, were dry. At yeah. the end and mine of the day. were wet. Mine were wet. Yeah. And then yesterday <laughs> it rained on us all day. Yeah. And my, and Jim put me up front. Yeah. And my boots, my feet were soaked. soaked. Yeah, yeah. And mine were dry. Dry. <laughs> and so I like that better. Yeah. Yeah. I got good use out of my rain gear this week. So oh, yeah. if not just yeah. because of the rain, because of the wet brush. Super happy oh. with my rain gear. So I, I've got GI, uh, government issue stuff from, from one of my deployments. And it's Gore-Tex and it's multicam. It's loud. Um, it's not because it's not hunter. It's not for hunters. They didn't make it silent. But, man, is it waterproof. Keeps it, it dry. Is it, it breathe? It works. Uh, no. 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 But it, it works. Yeah. So I'm super happy with that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did the space rain stuff hold up? Good, um, better than I anticipated. You know, it's it's a really thin fabric, but it does have some stretch to it. It just got um, really hot. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't breathe. So well, you, all you're rain sweating gear, a little bit. it don't breathe. So yeah. you can't have it both ways. They, yep. These these manufacturers say that you can. It's a lie. You mm-hmm. can either be dry, or you can be uh, yeah. cool. Yeah, well, that's the say, yeah. say, say the same thing about waterproof boots. They're yeah. waterproof. Yeah, they're waterproof about four hours. <laughs> yeah, and then they're soaked. <laughs> well, yeah. And, um, as you guys have, have heard before, you know, I don't have the biggest inseam, so rain the pants in, don't come in a waist and height. The inseam of a beagle. <laughs> yeah, the inseam of a beagle over here. Maybe and, you could get knickers. Um, <laughs> and so the biggest problem I have with any kind of stuff like that is you you buy it in a large, a medium, etc., and the legs are always super long, so I get these big balloons at the bottom of my legs <laughs> that catch on everything. And with us going through a lot of the blowdown and timber and whatever else, um, I was actually really impressed. I only tore one hole in the space rain, and I'll throw some uh, some of that uh, that tape, tenacious tape, on yeah. there, patch it up, and it'll be good for the next trip. That's so. good. And then for for clothing, we had a we have a smattering of clothing. Jim, you're oh, a cool yeah. you guy. Yeah. I, I wore some Sitka stuff that I, I've never owned Sitka before, and I, I wore it on this hunt. Ernie, you, you're you rocking the Sitka gear as well. Yeah, I've got mountains of it specifically for elk hunting because I've found that I really like the stretch in the fabric. I like the the way that it seems purposely built. Pockets are where you need them. Uh, bucket, or buckles are where you need them. They seem like the people who put it together put it, put every detail there for a reason not just to throw details on there so uh everything from the you know the down kelvin vests um i had a shacket out this week um i had like the midweight and the the lightweight core tops and you know you mix and match and make a system but it's all there so that uh over the course of the week rain storm cold hot with the three or four pieces in my pack, I was able to make it through every day and not be uncomfortable. And it mm-hmm. pretty much rained at least a little bit every day except the first day, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we we were we were in 
we in were, weather every day, pretty yeah. much. It was basically wet every day. Mm-hmm. And it was from the, what, low 40s to, what, the maybe mid-60s, mm-hmm. maybe, in yeah, some I of the hotter days? I don't even yeah. think it got that hot. No. I think about 60 was... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It felt a lot cooler when you're wet. When we left yeah. the truck, it was generally like 41, 42, yep. something like that, and yep. then it's sixty, maybe fifty-five, sixty during the yep. during the hotter part of the day. And I was, I was mostly happy with my gear. Um, the the new stuff that I brought again, I'm not familiar with the Sitka system like Ernie is. I don't have a lot of it, but I wore the the mountain pants with the that was Jared Schaefer's recommendation. Um, and he told me to get those, so I did, and super, super, super happy with those. They fit great. Like Ernie said, the pocket was perfect. I even like the little buttons. They're little snap buttons, so and they're plastic, so they don't make any noise. Right. Uh, you can just close them, and it stays closed just enough to where if you need to get I was keeping my rangefinder in the cargo pocket, and it was, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, super happy with those. The built-in knee pads were great. Found myself like – very often, you know, taking a knee to if we thought an elk was coming or just taking a break, I would mm-hmm. go down into a knee or something, and it made a big difference. Yeah, knees those, a lot. Yeah, yeah, made a big difference having those knee pads. So I, was, I, I really like that. I wasn't super happy with the, oh man, I don't know the name of it, but like the shell jacket. It's kind of a like a fleece lined jacket with like a DWR soft brushed fleece exterior, and it's probably like a mid season jacket. Uh, I think it's called the Jetstream. I'm pretty sure that's what it was, actually. Wasn't real happy with that. Didn't find it very useful. I didn't really think it was warm. It didn't really add much warmth. It just kind of felt like an extra layer. Didn't like that that much. I loved the, I think it's called the Core or the Ascent. The Ascent shirt. Is that the one that's super light? Yeah, I mean, the Core is like an underlayer. No, so not that. I think the Ascent shirt is what you had. So the Ascent shirt, yeah. yeah. So my system was merino wool, bottoms and tops, every day. Uh, which I wore the same pair for six days. I did not change my merino wool at all, and you could go bury your nose in it right now, and it wouldn't stink. Wow. That stuff is awesome. So that was a win. Uh, lightweight, 250-gram uh, weight uh, merino wool that I got on Amazon. The brand is Mara Wool. It was a lot cheaper than the stuff like Icebreaker and stuff that's very mm-hmm. expensive. This was a lot cheaper than that. Performed great. That was my base layer every day. And then I wore the mountain pants. Fantastic. And that was the only thing I wore on my on my legs the entire week, except for the rain gear. But um, that performed well. The Ascent shirt worked really well. Uh, big fan of that. And then I stole Ernie's uh, down Sitka. Uh, what, what's that one? The that vest. was a Kelvin. Yeah, so I stole that one from Ernie because I got cold a couple of times, and that ended up working really, really well. And then your system is just on point. Jim, maybe, oh yeah, maybe he has could, all the big boxes. Yeah, man. so talk, yeah. talk. So the so our the people listening right now, they're kind of gear guys. Mm-hmm. So maybe talk through your Kuyu system and why you picked each piece. Yeah, if guys, you could. he has the big box, so he'll just tell you how it is here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I make <laughs> a lot of money here. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I think rain gear is essential in this country. If you're wet, you're just miserable. I mean, you can you can tough it out, but you need to make yourself as comfortable as you can out here, and. uh if you're freezing cold all day and wet, you're just, you're going to get sick. You're going to yeah. get sick. Yep. You're not going to last. Uh, so, you know, we already talked about boots. They're very important. I like my uh, Kuyu uh, rain pants that I have here. Uh, I have gaiters that I put over the top of them. I usually wear their attack pants underneath. And I'm uh, getting a pair of them, those Gators. Gators. Oh, they're great. Great. they're slick. Yeah, I'm getting Especially a pair. Especially in the winter, too. Yeah, they're fantastic. Snow. 
I highly recommend to getting those. If I if I would say, you know, if you're coming out here to hunt, uh, I would tell you to get these gaiters. I'd tell you to get uh, high-quality rain pants and coat. And uh, then you talked about the wool. You know, same thing with this Kuyu wool. Sitka and Kuyu are really brother and sister yeah. companies. and uh, It's a Ford versus Chevy conversation. It really yeah. is. I agree. It's what camo do you like better and do you, the features, do you like yeah. the pocket placement? And yep. What broadheads do you like better? There's a hundred different kinds. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if Greg would just come over here and smell my armpit right now, <laughs> I mean, I, could, I can show you. I wore this for... <laughs> maybe, for later. <laughs> maybe later. Maybe later. It doesn't stink. Yeah. So this, this wool is fantastic. It's and wool. It's wool. This there is no wool? Yeah, no. it's and they have a special uh, way they, they stitch hot. it together. They're cold. No, it's it regulates your temperature really awesome well. Stuff. And then with the layering, wow. it's it's thin enough that you can wear it in the heat. Yeah. But with the layering system that they have, uh, like the long sleeve heavier wool mm-hmm. shirt that I put over the top of it, it's simply so I can take it off, uh, put it in my pack, or put it back on. It doesn't yeah. take a lot of weight. Um, in the colder months, I like to use their down system. They have a uh, a down that doesn't compress when it gets wet, plus the shell's uh, water resistant, so mm-hmm. it doesn't get wet anyways. And that, I mean, it, you can pack it down to just a little bit bigger than a grapefruit. Yeah. And the heat retention of that. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's just fantastic. There's no weight. Yeah, those down pieces are... Down is where it's at they're, it's, yeah. for an insulating layer. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's fantastic. And it's nice because, like you said, it packs down so small, you can throw it in your pack... So you don't have to wear it when you're hiking in, and then as soon as you sit down and start to get a chill, you pull it out, yep. and you can sit there quite a while and not get cold. Mm-hmm. I love it for that. Yeah. You know, in this country, even over there in Idaho where you're hunting, you don't really know what you're getting into every time you step out that door. And you might think you're sitting at a wallow all day, so you, you pack a bunch of stuff in your, in your pack to go do that, but then all of a sudden... You got a bull bugling up above you way before you get into that stand. What do you do? You go You're after hiking, the bull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you, you plan on beating feet out there all day and you come across a wallow that a bull has, you know, just been tearing up and you want to sit on that. That's where you guys is your stand system would come in just fantastic. But now you're going to sit all day. And if you don't have things in your pack that are going to allow you to, to do the things that you want to do, you're going to limit yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't stay out all day in the rain, in the cold. Without, you won't be able to pull your bow back by the time the bull gets in. Yeah, which is, you know, we're big at, at Tethered. We're we're super focused on ultralight and efficient. And clothing is somewhere where I learned this week. I mean, I, I planned for 50 to 75 temperatures mm-hmm. because that's what it was last time I came here. Mm-hmm. And it was totally different. It yeah. was 20 degrees colder. And I didn't pack the right clothes. I I had to steal Ernie's stuff and steal some of Jim's stuff just to stay warm because we went through this, you know, sit, hot and cold sitting on uh, sitting on the saddle. I sat in a saddle for 13 hours, and I got cold. Um, if if I hadn't had Ernie's uh, down thing, I I there's no way I would have made it. Um, and it's important to make it light because you're walking all over and you don't yeah. know if you're gonna need it. So you yeah. gotta have it in your pack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was some lessons that I learned. Anything to add to that? What's what about your system, Aaron? Oh, it ain't nothing fancy. It's just a Sportsman's Warehouse sells it. It's their camo they come out with. It's kind of like Sitka, but a little cheaper. Okay, like hundred dollars cheaper. What's the name of that again? Killick. Killick. 
Yeah. In Sportsman's Warehouse. Yeah, they're the ones that sell it and make it. It's like $140 pants. Okay. $80 shirt. But kind of the same idea. That, yeah, that thin. Lightweight, yep. packable, yep. purpose-built Bull. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed there yep. was a lot of folks in camp that had this purpose-built gear. I think it's a lot better than, yep. you know, your, your – Well, you, uh, well, you I, got two types of people. You got the people who – just buy it because that's what somebody had told them to do it. And then you got the people who use it and realize it's the best. And yeah, and yeah. that's that's the two camps. And you can kind of tell, you know, the guys that have built a system through trial and error and right. over years, they know what to bring and they have the right pieces. And then there's a guy who just has everything and it's like, well, doesn't know how to mix and match and what to carry. And yep. um, you can definitely tell the difference. But uh, I think anybody who's done this, a number of years and has spent time in the woods um, has fine tuned their system a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like anything else, Midwest whitetails or, you know, anything like that. You do it enough times that you figure out what works for you and what doesn't. Yep. Yeah. I've never been one to invest a lot of money in clothing, Mm -hmm. but this week seeing Jim's system, how slick it was and how he had it nailed down because he's been doing it for so long Mm -hmm. and doing it. One of the harshest climates there is here to hunt in North America. Uh, it worked really, really well. Yeah. Um, so I was I was wanting to get you guys' opinions on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, before we end this and wrap it up, because we're coming up on an hour, the last thing that I wanted to to get from you guys, somebody, an, e- an eastern hunter, whitetail guy, is looking at making his first trip out west. What are some of the most common mistakes that you see guys make? It could be gear-related. It could be fitness-related. It could be archery practice-related. Uh, anything that you can think of that you guys see with your, you know, being guides, you see clients, dozens of them every single year. Mm-hmm. And I know that you probably see the same mistakes over and over again. So if y'all would lay out maybe some of the most common mistakes that you see, or these are the things that I would focus on if I was executing my first elk hunt out west. Mm-hmm. Jim, why don't you start? Well, I think the the biggest mistake that is made – is underestimating what they're getting into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, you only know what you know. And so if you've never done this hunt. Up here. Up here. Yeah. Uh, and you're coming from somewhere else, just about anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And you come here and you think, okay, I can just, uh, you know, a little bit of grit and uh, gumption and I can get up these mountains and I can do whatever. It's not necessarily the case. I I don't know if I've guided a single individual that has come here for the first time that hasn't said this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be or this is the hardest hunt this is the hardest hunt I've ever done Mm -hmm. and so what I would say is that you have reasonable expectations of what you can do and reasonable expectations of how you're going to walk away from this and so if you come in here thinking that you're going to uh, conquer these mountains and it's a guaranteed successful hunt because Kill of your determination. Your it's just unreasonable. Yeah. And I think if you don't approach something of, you know, of this magnitude, hunting in northwest corner of Montana in the Rocky Mountains, free range, hundreds upon hundreds of miles that we can cover. And you're going to be in all sorts of different elements that you are not prepared for mm-hmm. you can't prepare for it until you put boots on the ground you can watch videos you can do the stairmaster at home those are all good things uh but come here with reasonable expectations be prepared 
And, uh, you know, you guys talked about being able to come to a place like this. The challenge of the hunt is primary and killing is just the cherry on top. And so when you come to a place like this, it's, uh, you know, it's not for everybody. It's type two fun. It's type two fun. I heard about type I, two fun. I taught Jim about type two yeah, fun. It's yeah. type two fun. Break down, break down type two fun, Ernie. So I, I might not be a hundred percent accurate in this, but, uh, <laughs> the way I understood it was that, uh, some mountain climbers came up with a fun scale and, uh, it was based on the mountains that they were climbing and the different things. And, and so it, it basically comes down to three types of fun. And, and the first type of fun is the stuff that's super exciting when you're in it, but isn't all that memorable. Uh, roller coasters, that type of deal, where it's like super exciting, but afterward you're like, eh, that was kind of cool. And then there's type two fun, which is primarily what elk hunting out here is, and it sucks while you're doing it. <laughs> um, it's hard work. You're, you're busting boots. You're, it's, it's a lot of work. But then the whole drive home, you're like, God, that was fun. Oh, yeah. um, that's type two fun. And then, uh, then type three fun uh, is when it just sucks when you're doing it, and it sucks to look back at. <laughs> so this is definitely type two fun, which is where I like to play around the most. Um, some of you guys know I run obstacle course races and some of that stuff where it's, it's just brutal when you're in it, but you look back and like, yeah, that was kind of cool. And, you know, it's – a few months later, you forget how bad it sucked, and you sign up for another one. And yep. that's really what this boils to. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. It's definitely elk hunting is way more working out and less hunting, it feels like. It feels like <laughs> yeah. you're mostly just hiking with a bow. Uh, but it's definitely type two fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Aaron? The the number one mistake? Uh, or Probably two. The main thing is, just like Jimmy said, just – Oh, uh, you know, come here thinking you're just going to run up the mountains and go kill an elk. It ain't going to happen. Well, and let's be honest. Aaron's running around with, like, 14-foot legs <laughs> and uh, <laughs> trying to keep up with him. It's, it, every step took three of mine over and under logs. <laughs> so keeping up with Aaron's a chore by himself. <laughs> are, are you guys seeing that, that most guys are – pretty proficient with their archery skills are you seeing that they're pretty proficient with their their gear preparation in general yeah. or are you seeing that most guys they are there are, are there folks that come out and they're just totally unprepared or? all most the ones that i've i've only been with red with northwest with reggie for only two and a half years okay so he Jimmy would be so so you've but you've guided what i got down in colorado but you've guided what 20 30 people yeah i've guided colorado and so like the the gear stuff most of them are have the right gear and don't get cold. You know, they get a lot of them have Sitka. But the main thing is being in shape and knowing what you're getting into when you come here. Mm-hmm. So being the so fitness is probably the oh, number yeah. one mistake you see. Yeah, and out of shape. Out, they yeah. think they are in shape and they're they're they they're all you know what I mean. They think the mountains are not what they until they get to them. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know Which I mean? you can't read. I can't really prepare for this where I live in Georgia. I mean, I can do things that, that certainly help, Yeah. but and I, I, I live at sea level. Yeah. And when I come here and I'm a mile up, yeah. I, my lungs are working at, it feels like 20%. It takes mm-hmm. me a few days to get used to it. And admittedly, mm-hmm. I was way out of shape for this hunt, but And you're starting from 2,000 feet and going up to 550, Yeah. Right. You're getting, you're getting 2,000, 3,000 elevation just hiking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it ain't just on trails. Right. 
You know, a lot of people come up here and be like, oh, so it's all trail? Yeah. No, you hear a bull down in the, down in the draw, you're going to be going over downfall, through brush, under trees, over trees. Yeah. Ernie knows all about that. Yeah, those holes that broke Ernie's soul. <laughs> well, it's, I came into this knowing what I was in for. Yeah, you knew. I, uh, every year I hulk on about 100 miles west of here. And so the terrain is the same. The the weather's the same. I'm very familiar with it. It doesn't make it any easier. No. Right. <laughs> That's a good point. I, I was prepared. I knew what it was going to be like because I've been to this exact place before. So I knew what I was getting into, but it still wasn't any easier. Mm-hmm. It still absolutely rocked my world the first two days while I was getting into mountain shape mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. And I uh, still get wore out. Yeah. Every night I get home, hike 10, 12 miles, I feel it. Oh, yeah. So the number one piece of advice for somebody coming out here would be pay attention to your fitness and and have realistic expectations when you come into yeah. the hunt. Yeah. I mean, do the best you can at home. Prepare. I mean, shoot your bow. Shoot a lot and shoot a lot in, like, timber. Yeah. Set your target back in timber behind brush and small. Yep. Because it's thicker than crap. Yeah, it is. Some spots, you know. Yep, you got to prepare. Just get as prepared as you can, reasonable expectations, and enjoy the hunt. Mm-hmm. And it's... I mean, there's some fantastic things Bring that camera. are up here. But uh, you, we talked about this a little bit earlier today about being out of your element, trying to make a shot on a bull elk in tough terrain, in adverse weather. And you have literal seconds to make uh, decisions on uh, how you're going to make your shot, how far away is it, all sorts of things going on. It's pretty chaotic when the time finally comes. And uh, if if you haven't put in the time and, and practiced and rehearsed it and went over it, it's going to be far more difficult to make that shot. And nobody's ever 100% prepared for all situations, but you can do the best you can, uh, prepare for your hunt, and it's going to be far more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. like it. Ernie, anything to add before we wrap it up? No, I uh, I think we've covered most of it. I mean, this has been a... You know, it's an eye-opener every time. Every hunt's different. Um, even if you know what you're getting into, it's still kind of a new adventure every time. And I, I try and take away um, as many of, like, the cool stories, cool memories, cool people as I can. And, um, you know, this time I'm going home with my tag. But, boy, I got some cool mental images to take with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Aaron, mm-hmm. anything to add before we close no. her down? You guys are awesome. You guys are studs. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Ernie blew my mind. He's a short little fart, about two foot legs, but, man, he's right on my heels. <laughs> Ernie's the man. And he, he told me, man, I'm like, well, that bull's way the heck down there. Are you sure? He's like, dude, I'll do whatever it takes. Yeah. Like, All right. I love that attitude. Whatever it takes. <laughs> he he was unstoppable. That's how he is. Yeah. He's awesome. He's a little stud. He is. So, yeah. Jim, anything before we close? No. I mean, just happy you guys come up and – Got to hunt with you guys. And well, I got a feeling you'll see again. us again. Yeah, you'll yeah. definitely see us again. Uh, the the last thing I wanted to bring up was kind of in the vein of if you're preparing for your fel- first elk hunt. So I did the I did the opposite of what I'm going to suggest to people. When I was stationed in Colorado, I went and did a 10 day backcountry elk hunt on my own with just a buddy. If you're looking to get into elk hunting, my advice would be go with a guide an outfitter you're going to learn so much about how to and it doesn't really matter where because a lot of these lessons that you learn about elk hunting 
they'll really translate to different parts of the country. You know, whether you're hunting in northwest Montana mm-hmm. or down in Nevada, it doesn't really matter. A lot of the techniques are the same, uh, even though it's different terrain. But my advice would be to go with a guide, if at all possible. No, because, it shortens your learning curve. Man, I yeah. would have, if I knew, if I had gone with the guide the first couple of years, man, I would be so much more prepared to go and go into Colorado like I did, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago and go on my own. Because we just, I mean, we just winged it and it it didn't turn out so well we saw a good time but we weren't even close to being successful as far as you know killing an elk Mm -hmm. but now i feel like after hunting with a guide a couple of years uh i feel like i could go somewhere and i wouldn't be perfect but i would at least know i'd be i'd know enough to to make myself dangerous Mm -hmm. and so my advice would be to go with a guide if at all possible because like you said ernie that learning curve ernie that learning curve is going to get cut short yeah, it is. It's uh, and I'm still learning. The main reason I still go with outfitters is, I like to see how other people tackle a problem. Everybody has their own style. Yeah, there's yeah. no right way of doing it. And what I learned from one guy isn't the same as what I learned from somebody else. And, um, you know, Aaron and I were talking about, uh, some stuff that I had heard on a podcast that he's going to be looking into later that that may have helped in some of the situations we're in mm-hmm. um so oh i know you're talking about the the bull yeah the calling joel, just to piss off the bull yeah it's it's joel turner yeah. and his bull calling cow's bugle um you ever heard of that jimmy no it's nuts man so really not to make this go a whole lot longer but uh joel turner is a he's a world championship elk caller He's won competitions, et cetera. Like Corey Jacobson. Mm -hmm. Yep. But he's also, um, he's also really good at, uh, he's a, he's a police officer, I believe. And, uh, what he kind of learned by watching in his police force role is how many times he would end up getting called to like a bar, for example, and there would be a fight at the bar. And what is it always over? It's over some girl and it's not. Because the guys are challenging each other is because the one guy's trying to take the other girl. And it just fires up the original guy to the point that he he's like being tased and he's still trying to go at this guy across the parking lot. And uh, so Joel's and, you know, Joel, if you hear this and I misquote this, I apologize. But his theory is he gets into these bulls that have cows and instead of talking to the bull as a challenge and instead of cow calling he makes a call that mimics the call that a bull would do to call the cows so his street version is let's say you and your wife are walking through the parking lot and some guy is across the parking lot and he starts yelling at you and he's yelling hey you get over here i'm gonna kick your butt and whatever well at that point you have a choice you can make right you can go over there and fight him or you can turn and walk away but let's say he's on the other side of the parking lot and he's like, hey, babe, what are you doing? Why don't you come over here with me? Well, now you don't have a choice. You defend your wife or you lose her. And so that's the point with this thing is mm-hmm. instinct takes over and that bull's like, hey, I'm not letting you take my cows. I might not want to fight you right now, but I'm not letting you take my cows. <laughs> it's smart. It, it, it seems like a great yeah. idea. Yeah. So both of the situations Listen, that Judy. we got – and Judy would ruin that. He would just give her up. Judy's, He'd say, take her, yeah. man. If you'll take Judy. Yeah. So, yeah, in both of the situations we got into where these bulls were herded up with cows, 
Um, right in the middle were, of his cows. Right in the middle of the cows, oh, yeah. and it was really hard to pull him out of he there. Challenge. That might have been fight. a situation yeah. um, where we could use that tactic, and and mm-hmm. I don't know the tactic well enough to implement it, but I've heard about it. Um, and you know the way he describes it is, not only do you get that bull fired up because you he wants you to get you know within sixty to hundred yards of the cows, and then let off this bugle that is intended to talk to the ladies. Um, and he says, when you do it, be ready. Cause that bull's going to fire off a challenge bugle and he's coming and they don't hang up and they come right to the spot where you're at. So for an outfitter, the way he describes it, you don't have to set your collar back 50 yards. You can be side by side to help judge the shot and do some other stuff because that bull is not hanging up and he's coming to the spot of that call. Yeah. So interesting. It's worth looking into. It it's, is. Uh, not have been yeah. handy. In the middle of cows, because he wouldn't get he wouldn't get coming to challenge. He would he didn't care. Yeah, but. very interesting. Well, hey, it's been great talking to you guys. We have taken up uh, over an hour of your time. Thank you very much for sitting in with us, uh, and and also thank you for taking you know the time to teach us a lot of your tactics and strategies that you guys have learned over years and years and years of dedicating yourself to these these elk out here. Uh, it means a lot to me. I learned a lot. I'm very, very thankful, uh, Jim, for you for showing me some of this stuff and not just treating me like, you know, some guy that came out and paid money for a guide. I mean, you really took me under your wing and, and educated me. So I learned a lot and I know Ernie feels the same way. So thank you very much. And, Mm -hmm. um, uh, hopefully you guys out there listening, learn something. Well, and actually one more thing, just a, uh, a little plug for Northwest Outfitters. The food is great. The guides are great. The country will kick your butt. It's a great hunt. It's a great experience. You know, if you're looking for a place to go and you don't mind really working for it, this will give you a good experience. Yeah, actually, the 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 owner of the of the outfit, Reggie Carper, he's from my hometown in Pensacola, Florida, and that's how we got linked up with these guys. Is I've hunted with Reggie before. Reggie's good friends with my dad. Reggie's good people. So yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks for for bringing that up, Ernie. Yeah, that's it. We'll catch you guys next time on the next episode.